Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. And this week we are introducing a new series that we're calling the Third Man series, and we have with us a friend of ours, Aiden Boyer. Hello, everyone. Um, and what the premise of this series is that we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking one director uh, every episode that we do this, and we're going to be looking at what um, our guest and what Frank thinks are the best movie um, of that director. Uh, so this week, in terms of um, what we've been doing all month, is we so far is uh, looking at horror movies um, in honor of uh, October. So last week uh, we went ahead and did the top five foreign psychopaths show, which is available right now. Uh, next week we'll be doing the top five horror movies of the nineteen seventies, and then on the final week we'll be doing a retrospective of the Phantasm series. But this week we're going to be doing the best of M Night Shyamalan. Um, so I wanted to kind of start off before we got into the actual movies is talk about some movies that neither of you picked. Okay. Um, and Aiden, I'll kind of throw it to you first. Um, okay. I just wanted to talk about a couple of specific movies. Uh, what are what do you think of um, you know his breakthrough hit like the Six uh, Six Sense? I I really like the Sixth Sense, and uh, it's it's not my favorite um, because it was it was my favorite when. It was the only movie, I guess. Kind of, I guess where we're from. I, I really liked it, but I, it was. And in retrospect, I think it kind of set him up to be criticized for the talent that he has. Um, not unlike Michael Richards for Kramer, and you know any type of situation where someone does almost too good of a job, where it typecasts them in the future and it and it hinders them. Um, it was one of the few movies. In that I've seen, where I mean, there's I mean, at this point, I mean, it's an older, it's an older movie. It's got to be what at least ten years of it by this point. Yeah, I think it was ninety nine. Ninety nine is yeah. six cents. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's it's safe to say that most people that have have seen it, so they know that there's a twist. We'll say. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was very unique about that movie, or at least my experience when watching that movie, is that I actually got the twist immediately when it happened, like in the uh, early in the movie. I'll say. I, I, it was the first reaction that I had and I talked myself out of it. Mm. And when I got to the end, I was, I was like, I cannot believe I did this. I can't believe, he, you know, he pulled this off on me. And I thought that that was genius, you know, because while I love those types of movies, I also like to think that I'm pretty perceptive too. And it's just, it's even more, it's a, it's a delightful salt in the wound type mm -hmm. thing where, this guy fooled me, and I and he made me do it myself. Almost like when you have like a sibling, and they grab you, they grab your hand, and they slap you in the <laughs> face <laughs> with your own hand. Right. So I thought it was I thought it was an awesome thing because knowing I'd never seen that before, yeah. and um, so I really liked it. Yeah. Um, Frank, what did you think of Six Sense? I really enjoyed the Six Sense. Um, I think that as a like a genre movie, as a ghost movie, it's really effective. Um, one of my favorite things about it as a film is that. A decent percentage of the ghost scenes take place during the day mm. so it's kind of um kind of genre breaking in that sense where like typically you think of like hauntings happening at night but um the scene with um the woman ghost where he's like following her in the building like up the stairwell like that's during the day and there's also just a lot of really like haunting imagery like the the little girl who's getting poisoned by her mother like mm. the 
the way that that scene is like shot and the way that that kind of like twist is unveiled through the hidden camera, like the nanny cam stuff. Um, it's a good child performance by Haley Joel Osment. Absolutely. Uh, which is pretty rare um, to have like a child like that young, like able to like hold, hold his own with like an established actor like Willis. Um, I agree with Aiden. Like I kind of, kind of felt like I knew, I mean, I, I saw this movie opening weekend, so I didn't even know that there would have been like, like it wasn't at the point where you were expecting like that Shyamalan twist to happen. But I sort of felt like I had figured it out, and then it still kind of surprised me the first time I saw it, because um, I hadn't heard, you know, that that's what, like, the end result of the movie was, was, you know, that he's dead. But um, really well done, especially for being something... One of the things I appreciate the most about Shyamalan is he doesn't shy away from, like, approaching things that other directors might not want to touch, like science fiction, horror, suspense, fantasy... Um, and he always tries to approach it from like a fresh angle. And I think the sixth sense succeeds in that respect for being like his breakout, you know, effort. It's, it's really effective and really well done. And I think it holds up. Like, I think you can watch the sixth sense today and still, even if you know what's coming, like you can still enjoy it and kind of see those things like that show you at the end when they do the flashbacks and you see like all the times where you thought you were seeing actual interaction between Willis and other people and you weren't actually seeing it. Right. Um, it's, it still is like enjoyable to watch today. Um, <clears throat> have you seen it since the first time you saw it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it recently, right. but, it was, but I've seen it enough that yeah. I remember it pretty decent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think it holds up on subsequent. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, um, movies like that, that really catch you off guard and they, they kind of fool you. Or, or just give you, and they don't necessarily have to fool you, but even just provide a perspective that you didn't have prior. When you go watch it again, you see things that, you see certain things from a different perspective yeah. than you initially did. Or you may see something and have a perspective on something that you didn't have before. So, yeah, I, I totally think, yeah, I, it, it definitely holds up. One of the interesting things, too, is that, I mean, after this movie and Unbreakable, people kind of started looking for that Shyamalan twist. Like, that's, like, always one of the criticisms of him is that he has to have some sort of, like, this, this whatever, the script is flipped, like, later in the movie in some ways. But, right. like, Sixth Sense is, at its core, like, a mystery, right? Like, it's not... The twist isn't... It's just a natural part of the story that's being told. So it's not, like, a gimmick, necessarily. It's just, like, a good reveal at the end of, like, a well crafted mystery and it doesn't feel like forced or anything whereas I think like in a couple later movies I feel like there is like a forced like twist ending to it mm-hmm. maybe he felt like he had to like live up to his own hype in some ways but in Sixth Sense and Unbreakable specifically like I don't feel like that's I don't feel like it's forced I think it's like a natural part of the story that's being told it almost feels like a Twilight Zone episode it to is. me yeah that's that's a good good analogy yeah type deal where you know, you knew you know something's awry. You just can't put your finger on yeah. it, and then you know. Okay, so moving on to, um, I guess the next really big movie like that um, he has um, in two thousand we have Unbreakable, but then in two thousand two we have Signs. Mm-hmm. Um, what? How do you feel about Signs? I um, I like Signs is probably like a bronze medaler, you know, as far as the the canon is concerned. Um, I liked it where it seems though, when I talk about 
his movies to other people, it seems almost universal that Signs is not well received by other people. I really, I really liked it. I thought it was a very, I thought it was a very complex meshing of different conflicts, different character conflicts, and there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of content both like with like the actors and there's a lot of cinematography stuff that was just really brilliant and that I feel gets overlooked because everyone's looking for the twist. Yeah, I think that a lot of things get overlooked in terms of how good of a director he actually is a lot of times in his right. movies because so many people were focused on the plot of the, that movie, of, right. of his movies that he actually, I mean, there's people that compared and I don't think it's unwarranted. There's people that end up like early on comparing him to Hitchcock. Um, in yeah. terms of like his filmmaking and I mean I think it's warranted like in those early movies especially but he also portrays himself as Hitchcock in a lot of ways too like in the way he films things and the way he composes scenes in the very literal sense of him like putting himself in every movie that he's in and like sure. a small cameo I mean yeah. he he definitely doesn't shy away from trying to draw, draw comparisons. those comparisons I got you yeah right. um but I mean, I, I think from a filmmaking standpoint, I mean, uh, his his shot like composition and stuff like that is is certainly I think I don't want to say ripped off, but it's certainly very Hitchcockian. Um, so you're right; he probably wants those comparisons yeah, in some there, ways. There's moments of aesthetic brilliance in yeah, every yeah. Shyamalan movie. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he definitely has a good eye for framing a scene and setting up something yeah. where, yeah. like, visually there's symbolism in like the visual aspects of what he's doing that play into whatever narrative he's trying to portray. Yeah. And I think he does things with interesting, uh, it's like he goes a little bit beyond Hitchcock at times where he, he finds really interesting ways of getting into a scene that you might not expect. Sure. Um, it's like they're like in the very beginning of, of unbreakable when you see the Bruce Willis character, he shoots it between seats. Yeah. And it's like, I think, and, and it's, it's a really like, you know, and he goes back and forth between the two seats and kind of like swivels back and forth between two seats. So you can see both the, mm-hmm. both the Willis and the, and the, it also, and the like, female in the scene. It's like, it's a really interesting way of doing well, it. Well, it visually, um, almost mimes like the movement of a train. Right. Sort of. Yeah. In yeah. the way that he yeah. does it. Mm-hmm. So you kind of feel like the rhythm of like the wheels and like the movement of the train. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, and it's, it's a, just a really cool way of getting yeah. into that shot in a lot of ways. And I think that's overlooked sometimes. And shows him as being isolated too, you know, yes. especially because yeah. like it's such an uncomfortable exchange. And it's very voyeuristic and almost like you're almost yeah. turning around peeking like through, or like you're sitting in like, you know, the, the seat that's facing him. Right. And you're like kind of peeking through that seat and like watching. One of the other things he does well is, um, and it can, can kind of come off as, like, gimmicky sometimes, but he's pretty good at um, using other formats other than, like, just film stock medium to show things, like, in the way he shows flashbacks. One of my favorite scenes in Signs is the um, the first Alien reveal at, like, the, mm. the Quinceanera or whatever, like, the mm-hmm. Mexican birthday party where, like, the alien just, like, comes out, like, between the houses and it's, like grainy and it feels almost like real when you're watching it and it's a really effective like instead of just like showing the monster like a really effective tool to kind of like introduce the monster without like fully like giving everything away um and he does that a lot like i think every movie even like his less effective movies the ones that i feel are less effective like i think that he is always willing to take those chances and i think it makes him an interesting filmmaker all the time at least what I think is interesting with with I, I know the scene you're talking about, uh, it 
that scene is also propelled for how it's set up because uh, and you know Mel Gibson and was it Joaquin Phoenix I believe mm-hmm. so in that movie by the time you get there they had already been talking about the alien and stuff like that and he also plays the he also goes the route of like the hidden villain for that movie so by the time that you even see the grainy picture you're already you know you're already trying to you're already anticipating trying to find ways to see the yeah. alien yeah. and then yeah, it's true. almost like it's almost like the fact that it is blurry is almost like a peak you know in fact you don't really see the alien and he does that he does that uh, once with the grainy film and then again through the reflection of the television which I had never seen anything like that before yeah that's a really good scene that I just I was completely floored and you know I, I, I've never seen I've never seen someone use that kind of like view angle or yeah, camera angle it's actually um like a John Carpenter technique oh okay of like the seeing seeing something without actually like the director showing it to you sort of like it's okay. you almost like catch it out of the corner of an eye or it feels like an accidental reveal almost which makes it more I don't know like mysterious or effective I guess I don't know mm-hmm. but I mean, also, I think that I think Signs is more of like a family drama against the backdrop of an alien invasion, as right. opposed to like the central idea of like the family dynamic is the most important part of that movie, and it just happens to take place during like this alien encounter, as opposed to like a normal science fiction movie where like the aliens would be like the driving force, and then you would just have these little like vignettes of like character moments just to like kind of propel a narrative which right. like I think it's more interesting and maybe that's why people don't like it as much because it's not just like strictly you know like War of the Worlds or something right I agree with that <clears throat> so if we jump back to 2004 what about The Village The Village is actually so let me just start off by saying this there isn't a, there isn't an M. Night Shyamalan movie I dislike <laughs> that Does that include said, the happening? That's a bold claim. Oh, oh, you know what? <laughs> or Avatar: The Last Airbender. You know what? I I misspoke. I misspoke. I you know I. You talk about blocked. the early. You talk about the early films. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about the happening. Which uh, what funny? I I actually not too long ago saw it for the first time, mm-hmm. and we will just we'll just skip over. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The village is so. I like the village. It's my it's my least favorite of the movies I like from him mm-hmm. um, just because I feel and, and, and it could be because I'm falling privy to the devices that I that I kind of laid out myself with like typecasting him mm-hmm. I, there, there's something about that movie that just is not compelling enough to stay in it for the duration of the movie and by the time I got to the end and the reveal mm-hmm. revealed itself um, I didn't care for whatever reason, I thought that the buildup was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that I really liked the idea and the look of I'm gonna forget what they're called, whatever the beasts are. Uh, yeah, I thought that 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 look was really cool. Um, but I don't know. There's something I you know some you know there's just there was something in the mix and something in the balance and it just didn't it just didn't grab me like some like the other ones had. Well, because it's like sixty percent brilliant and then forty percent just like nonsense. It like. Uh, up until the point where they leave the village, I think it's a really, 
like almost in, like an amazing movie. Like I love mm-hmm. that movie up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And then once they're out in the woods, like once um Bryce Dallas Howard and who's the male? I can't remember. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Anyway, the male lead go off into the woods, and they're followed by um the summer of Sam dude. Um, yeah, I'm slipping on his name too. Like it kind of falls apart, and then when you get to the end, where it's like oh they're on a nature preserve and all that stuff, it's just like okay, like this is way too like way too gimmicky and it just kind of but i mean the first like 45 minutes of that movie is yeah, amazing intriguing like the the way he composes shots the shooting them standing on the um the tree stump like looking out into the woods with like the fire and stuff i mean like there's some beautiful the beautiful cinematography stuff. in that movie is amazing yeah. yeah yeah i really like the scene where uh bryce dallas howard because she's if i remember because i haven't seen it in a while She's blind, right? She is. Yeah. And she gets in a struggle with one of the beasts in like a ground trap. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that's towards the end of the movie, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really like that scene. That was, That's the scene that probably sticks out to me the most. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I just... Yeah, I just that movie, we, we got into a big argument with friends of ours over <clears throat> the village, I remember, because... Frank and I, because at that point you're expecting the twist in 2004 with these movies. Yeah, even if you try not to. Right. It's and, and, and well, right. And that's the argument we got into was that some of our friends, um, well, it was, who was, it was Aaron Bletso, yes. um, uh, got angry with Frank and I saying, how can you not turn off, just turn off your mind and just watch the movie? And like, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like the idea is like, you know, you're actively engaged in a movie and you're thinking about it. How are you going to not think about like, what the filmmaker's doing and, you know, not think of what the twist I, is. I but. feel like part of the advertising campaign for The Village was, like, what twist is Shyamalan going to give you this time or something? Like, I right. can't remember yeah. exactly. Yeah. It, does, it does feel like the trailer, like, was almost, like, trying to, like, <laughs> get you to guess. Right. And look, like, I, again, like, I love that yeah. movie for, for part of it. Yeah. the majority of it. And then I just, I don't know, like, I just couldn't. I can suspend a lot of disbelief, but there's a certain point where I guess, like, it's just too much. And I think that that's the point where it's too much is the end of the village. Didn't stop me from buying it on DVD though. I remember. <laughs> the Adrian Brody character too, like that's that's the that's yeah Adrian Brody. Um, did, I forgot Jacqu- he I forgot he existed. That's why I couldn't remember his name. Jacqueline Phoenix is the um, whatever the love interest of yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard, and mm-hmm. Adrian Brody's the I don't know, like mildly autistic. I guess maybe I don't even yeah. know like what he's supposed to. Anyway, the the guy that ends up becoming the beast, and mm-hmm. you know that's the twist of it is that it's not real. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just it feels really forced, and like I don't feel that I don't feel the twist in Sixth Sense is forced. I don't feel that it's forced and unbreakable. I don't feel it's forced in Signs. I feel like this is the first movie where I'm just like, okay, like you're just trying now to like subvert expectations. But then like you sort of even kind of can kind of figure it out. I think like we right? did. Yeah, right. like you know, like pretty early on, we we guessed it before the movie, and then we basically narrowed down while we were watching. Yeah, the that's movie. true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like like to Aiden's point with the sixth sense, like you you can sort of figure it out like while you're watching it, but it's still a satisfying resolution yeah. when you're right. Right. And in this one, I almost felt like disappointed that it was so easy to figure out. Right. Um. So yeah, but I I still think like it's a movie worth watching. Like I don't yeah. think you should avoid seeing the village, but. I think it definitely doesn't rise up to the level of like some of his other films. Okay, so I mean, I think that's like the major movies that probably need to be discussed. Um, you sure, like, want to talk about the happening? No, <laughs> but let me say that um, Split, yes, and Devil, and oh, that's right. He, I, I forgot about Devil. He um, wrote that right. Devil was 
Devil he wrote. He wrote, yeah. Uh, Split? What, what did he other? Well, there's After Earth, which is terrible. But, um... I didn't really see that, too. And then he's got... The Visit. The Visit's really good. Yes, it was. Okay. That, like, yes, it was. Like, he, yeah. like, The Visit and Split are almost him, like, completely going back to his, like, roots of just doing, like, really well-done genre films that have, like, a level of mystery but aren't, like, predicated on the idea that it's just about a twist. How long ago was that? The Visit, the visit was yeah, three five. years? I would say five. You think so? Yeah. So anyway, so it's yes. when I wasn't paying attention to the movie. So what, what what's the visit about? Just so I know. Uh, two like, kids go to stay with their grandparents, yeah. and their grandparents like. Oh no! I saw that movie. That yeah, was they don't, Yeah, <laughs> they've never met their grandparents, and then it turns out that it's like. Yeah, yeah, they're killers. Like, yeah, yeah, mental, like, like escape mental patients. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. that was decent. Yeah, really yeah. well done. Yeah. And Split is like yeah. the pseudo sequel to Unbreakable. Well. Yeah. It's actually a direct. Well, there's some hokey stuff in it's like a, in the visit, but I mean, I thought it was good overall. Yeah, well done. It's yeah. it's a really good horror movie, and Split yeah. is a really good like horror action. Slash... Yeah, it's the one where like they're underneath like the house or whatever, and like the crawling around uh-huh. and stuff. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's really well done. Yeah, I thought some of that stuff was really creepy. And then it's, you have the sequel to Unbreakable coming out this year, which looks really good. Right, Glass or whatever it's called. What yes. did you prefer between the visit and? Um... Split. I like Split better. Really? But mostly because I, I, I think James McAvoy is just like really fantastic in Split. Like I really think that that's... Like I like him as an actor anyway, but that performance is just like great. Like I him agree. doing like those different characters and stuff. I agree. Um, Just really well done and really creepy and effective. And then, you know, the, the ending like realizing that it actually takes place in the same world as unbreakable is pretty fantastic. So I, I'm on the other end of that actually. So I, I like, I like split too. Um, but I preferred the visit between the two, um, because I felt that it was more, it was more refined. I don't say refined. Um, it was more, there were more, su- there was more subtlety to the visit. Um, it's, and it was very sneaky. Like when, yes, w- when you get the reveal, you know, I hate to, I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm feeding the machine. Like he's you know, cause of the reveal, but it was one of the slickest reveals in his, yeah. his sets of movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I felt like I was guarding Jordan at that it's, point. Like I just, <laughs> I just completely was like, I froze. Uh, oh, I, whoops. <laughs> the, the visit is a much more focused movie mm-hmm. and split is more ambitious, I think, but it's like a little more, not fractured necessarily, but like the threads are more loose, I guess, mm-hmm. in Split because he's trying to do a lot more. Whereas in The Visit, like he really is just telling like, like even though it has that twist in it, like this is the story and it's only the story and, right, you know, he's not trying to give you more. Whereas I, I'm, I'm 100% positive that when he was filming Split, it was only to set up Glass and he was just trying to make mm-hmm. like the movie to like bring it into that unbreakable sequel i think the visit also stands out to me because it was the first time um because i'm i was born in 75 so i'll be 40 (laughs) i'll be 44 next year um it was the first time since i don't know like i I was a teenager that i was i legit had a movie had a part of a movie that scared me yeah and because i remember yeah the, the last movie that i can remember that i was legit scared would be one of the was probably the first Nightmare on Elm Street, mm. and I couldn't watch it. I was a kid. I couldn't watch it um, in its entirety. And then I lived. We lived in a house where my bedroom was next to 
on some trees. The trees would scratch the window, and you know, just a <laughs> recipe for disaster. So, but with the and like, but you know, and it's I feel like the horror genre, just just to be able to scare somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, jump scares, okay, but like right. to legit scare somebody yeah. is a tough act. Right. But now, because I think that people are just so hyper knowledgeable with Google, and like we're in that age where like we just know everything, right? Mm-hmm. And the visit caught me. And yeah. I never, I never saw it. It was the part. I can tell you exactly the part. The part was when the kid is in the crawl space under the house. Yeah. And then the grandmother comes out. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the scene. I. That's the one that keeps. That was I was like, and it, I, you, I did not see yeah. that coming. And uh-huh. then it had my complete and total attention. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Don't you also think? And like, not to like, because we, you know, mm-hmm. eventually have to move on to our actual choices. Yeah. Right. Don't you think also that when it's children in peril, like there's something. Like a little more scary about that. Um, in general, yeah, but with these kids, I didn't feel that way because the one kid was a smart ass. Like they were all, yeah. they were all precocious. So it's like, it's like fuck him. Like, right? I mean, you're talking about like <laughs> you're talking about like 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 the innocent Hansel and Gretel type situation, or like um like Newt and Aliens, yeah, like that kind of situation. But that kid has been was talking shit the entire time. <laughs> through the yeah. movie you know yeah. what I mean I mean, I mean he's trying to freestyle rap at the end if I'm not mistaken <laughs> you know so but it was what I thought was funny is like we're not funny but it, it almost it's almost like Shyamalan used the like the excessive snarkiness of the teen years to use that momentum as you know to the audience and reverse it because the other scary part to me because the jump scare was under it was in the crawl space for me yeah. the other part that scared me was actually the reveal, mm. and then and then there's a part where he's in the kitchen and there's something with a diapers the diaper scene, yes, yep, and that's when I was scared for the kid. Yeah, right. Like I, you know, so uh, that just that the whole that whole movie just really caught me off guard. Yeah, yeah. I honestly didn't. I don't think I knew that was. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. Um, <clears throat> Okay, so let's go ahead and um, move on. So, Aiden, uh, what you ended up choosing as your top, which I'm just going to say now, from I hope you know this from a critical standpoint, this is a this is a bizarre pick. <laughs> um, but um, so you picked um, 2006's Lady in the Water, that's correct, starring Paul Giamatti, Bryce yes. Dallas Howard, uh, Freddie Rodriguez, uh, Bob, uh, Bob Alaban. Yes. Um, so just so you know, like, because um, I always go through the. Um, like the, the critical scores on like Rotten Tomatoes and just so people know. Yeah. Um, this is uh, from from a critical perspective, this is a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's okay. It's a 69% among the audience, yeah. um, which is, is a decent score. Um, 36 uh, on Metacritic. Okay. Um, so critically, like audience-wise, it's, it's, it has pretty good reception overall. Um, critically, it's panned. Um, mm-hmm. um so, can you give us just a brief synopsis of this movie um, yeah. for the re- for the viewers? So, uh, the short version is like there's a myth that's t- that's told. Um, it, it's essentially a story, and the myth kind of kind of uh, alludes to. It's basically the story of um, someone or something that's stranded, and then someone else tries to help the situation to get that that stranded item or victim back to where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the short yeah. non-spoiler version. It's mm-hmm. essentially ET. 
in a sense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so, but to me, it was just so much more than that. Okay, so um, go ahead and explain. Like, why why did you choose this? I so Lady in the Water to me, and we've already talked about like all Shyamalan's like you know devices and things we love about them, yeah. stuff like that. The reason that I like Lady in the Water is that, in my opinion, it is the best balance of all those things, and um, and so much more. So you have you have a twist that you don't see coming, and it's probably the most elegant twist that you could have. And it's and it's not just twist is not just elegant. How he performs it, how it sets up is elegant. It's almost like watching like a chess match. Um, there's just a certain elegance to it that, to me, was very re- that just reverberated with me. I know um, you're trying to, not trying to spoil anything. What's the twist you're talking about, though? Um, the so. twist is for me, at least anyway. Uh-huh. The twist, so like the whole within the movie, uh, let's just say that there's there's a riddle that needs to be solved, uh-huh. um, because one of the characters, so all the characters. You have a host, a host of characters that kind of band together as a community to help. Uh, it's Bryce Dallas Howard's character. Um, I guess you can call her an alien. I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. So we'll say for for you know for lack of a better a term or a myth or yeah, something, right? Yeah, like yeah. So you have a, you know so you have a group of people that are trying. This is not unlike ET. You have a group of people that are trying to help her character um, get where she needs to go, right? Mm-hmm. And it ends up that all these people have different abilities and you know to be used at the right time right. in the right place and one of the one of the abilities is for this kid he can read things in the mundane i believe is what he mm-hmm. how they described it so he reads the prophecy he's like the prophecy reader mm-hmm. so he reads the prophecy and they and they try to and the prophecy delineates the roles of who, who is needed and what they are to do in order to have this happen. Mm-hmm. And the twist is they get it wrong. Gotcha. Okay. All right. That's okay. You I know? was just trying to clarify, like, so right. I knew what you mean. Okay. Right. So, gotcha. um, but that's, but there's more than, I mean, there's more than, there's a couple of different twists, but that's the major mm-hmm. one for me. Yeah. Um, but how it's set up is really cool. Um, there's almost like a, like if you like puzzles and stuff like that, there's, there's that part in it. Um, it's funny. Um, it's ironic. Uh, it has a good soundtrack. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It has one of the best elements of Deus Ex Machina in a movie that I've seen. Um, it just there's just so much about it that I liked, and it was understated. It wasn't it wasn't put in a nice brazier and shoved in your face. It was there, plain to see, and there was no end zone dance. Mm. It just. It was a really, really good, well acted demonstration of pretty much all the colors in the Shyamalan palette. So that's pretty much that. Pretty much wraps. What up do you What do you consider the Dusex Machina? Just out of curiosity, and because I I agree that that is a big element of it. I'm just curious, like what do you what do you call it? Um, like what what is, what is it or what what what, what, what is your movie? what do you identify as the Dusex Machina in that movie? When the I don't even know the name. When the monkeys come out, <laughs> when the monkeys come out and grab the uh, werewolf, which sounds crazy. It sounds yeah, like I'm on, it sounds like I'm on acid, right? right. Like, yeah. 
it's 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 the branch monkeys grabbing like the grass wolf. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. But um, that because like you didn't. It, it's funny because I, I really like that because it wasn't mentioned. Like it just, you know, it was part of the movie, and it was like it was one of those things that happens off screen, you know, and it wasn't convenient. Like it just, you know, it fit it fit very well in the movie. New, normally, we see Deus Ex Machina in a movie. It's I mean, you see it coming. It's it's almost like a template that everyone uses. And I felt like this, I mean, it was part of the conclusion rather than part of, usually it's the opposite. Usually it's the character introduction, you know, uh, case in point, uh, Alien Covenant. Or not, and I'm sorry, not, is it Alien Covenant? Covenant's the one where they go back to the home world of the, whatever. Right, and, um, with uh, Fassabender. Uh-huh. So Fassabender comes comes in, they get, they get destroyed by the alien, by the xenomorphs, or what I guess like the ancestral xenomorphs yeah. or whatever, and then here comes Fassenbender. Here comes this cloaked figure out of nowhere, lights up the place and says, "Follow me." You know that's usually how it goes. It usually is to 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 develop a character and to to start a path. And here it was used to conclude one. Yeah, and I you know I would argue that to me the Deus Ex Machina in that movie is the young Korean college student. Like, who's consistently, like, revealing elements of the plot through phone conversations and, like, translating, like, her mother's fables and stuff. Mm. Like, to me, that's the, again, like, the the underlying, like, driving thing that's, like, compelling that plot. Okay. Is, like, going back to her always to, like, oh, and now this is another thing that, you know, another reveal that you need to know about what's happening in the movie. Right. There's also, like, a lot of... uh wordplay i guess hmm. like how to solve the like they're just i mean there it was it was so rich in mental flaws like there was so much going on but it wasn't it's like it was so much going on yet it wasn't overwhelming you know and to have like so to have a movie try to you know be so ambitious and to do so much and to have it understated and to nail it and to not you know be masturbatory about it mm. you know I mean it was a solid it was a solid movie and we haven't even talked about the acting yet you know what I'm saying and you know you have Paul Giamatti who plays again with the irony you have a Paul Giamatti who plays a healer yet he has a stutter mm-hmm. you know you have a kid who can see you know exceptional things in the mundane but he's a kid like no one will believe if a kid, the kid could come in right now and tell you that he saw Jesus, mm-hmm. and you would never believe him. Do you know what I'm saying? So you have uh, the the wordplay with the sisters and like how they solved that. Uh, part of the prophecy was um, I'm gonna mess this up. Part of the prophecy was a man who has no secrets, right? Yep. But the answer wasn't the man; it was the wife that was telling all the stuff. So it was there were all these real, really cool like devices that. Even if you got part of it, you missed, you didn't get all of it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? At all. Like, I don't think anyone could have gotten it all. And it comes together in a very cool way. And, you know, you have the branch monkeys. <laughs> it's just so funny to say this. Huh? You have the branch monkeys come in and take the grass off. And then what I really loved about it is like all that happened, right? You had the myth in the beginning with the black and white hands, you know, it was narrated and whatever. You had all this stuff, great acting, you know, you had an emotional spot, 
you had peril, you had all that. And then when it resolves, you have a scene that is from the bottom of the pool looking up. You have the the, the end of the myth. Yep. Yeah. Which I thought was a very tasteful, appropriate, and I you couldn't end that any other way. Because it does something symbolically for me. It 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 keeps the end of the story. It explains the end of the story, but it doesn't it doesn't um, erode away the mythical net that it's held in, because you don't actually see what happens. Yeah. It's it's obscured by a, a a water membrane. Sure, and it's it's ending the myth in relation to the humans that are involved in it at that moment, but not an end of the myth in terms of like. You get the impression that it continues on past that point, and it's just their part in it is done, right? Because she's like gone back, and by doing it the way he did it, <clears throat> he books sent he book sends it too with the shot from the bottom of the pool. I think doesn't he start with that shot with Giamatti at the beginning? Uh, it Isn't starts he shot from the bottom of the pool. It starts with the narration though, like they have. There's like a little animation, like, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, the first shot that you see though, I think might be Giamatti like through the pool, through the bottom of the pool. I, I think, yeah. Um. But just you know, it's like there's there's a there's like a story related benefit to doing it that way, and then there's a like fourth wall benefit to doing it that way because that way you don't have to worry about um, you're not worried about the crispness of the CGI and how the hawk did this and you know it it preserves it preserves uh, it's like it's like never giving up the location of the North Pole. You know what I mean? Like the magic is still there. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't decouple the magic. How do you feel about the fact that the movie only takes place in one location, basically? I was fine with it. Like within the confines of that um, apartment complex or whatever. I was fine. I I I thought that that was kind of cool because it just it made it faceless. Kind of. It was like here's a story. Well, know. it increases like the idea that it's a fable almost that it like doesn't like right. yeah. attach itself anywhere like to a city or you know. I mean, I think it maybe mentions it takes place in Philadelphia, but I mean, yeah, um, but, but, but at the same time, like it's just its own entity like to right. itself. So I, th- I thought it was, you know, and it was, a, it was a fable. It was a story. And like the whole point for me anyway, to when I watch a movie, I want it. I, I want a good story. And that's what he did. He told a fantastic story and he didn't have to do it with, uh, you know, he didn't have to, you know, he didn't have to have, you know, uh, an, uh, an armed protagonist shooting up the place. He didn't need any of this, any of the normal tools to tell a good story that you, that we know of. He did it with like, you know, a broken branch and like <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it, he couldn't. He had as, as bare a, of a palette as he could. I mean, and, and the actors helped propel that too. So, yeah, I think that I I think that for me. Paul Giamatti is like 100% the highlight of this movie. Like mm-hmm. I think that Giamatti's performance is like pretty pretty fantastic and, and he's like 100% my favorite part of the movie. The other thing I really liked about that movie and like his movies in general is that the way that it distributes acting talent. So you have people that are absolutely fantastic at the acting craft and you have people that have never done it before. You know? And it it I don't know how he does it or whether it's just a fluke or whether I'm crazy, but it feels that no, like, so you have people in, in 
Lady in the Water, you have Paul Giamatti that definitely stands out. But then you have other people who it was probably their first movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean you've never no, seen them before. But it was still good. Like it, it there isn't it isn't isn't um it isn't like tip weighted in any way. You know, it's still good. Like Paul Paul Giamatti acting good, the whole team acts good, well, whatever dramatically. But you know, it's it's not like oh well, so and so couldn't save this movie. You know, it's not. You know, it just everything is spread out and distributed, and, and and I don't you don't get that that often. Okay, so would before I get into some of the criticism, um, mm-hmm. are there do you see like any weaknesses like in the movie that you would um, admit to or acknowledge? Yeah, uh, some of the there are some dry spots like the pacing. There's some there are it's not fatal, um, and I'd be nitpicking, but I think some of the pacing is a little is a little off. Um, outside of that, I mean. It just did everything so well, yeah. you know. Like you know, the pacing is definitely one of the things for me. Like rewatching it again, like it felt like a long hour forty one, mm-hmm. like to me. Like at times, like it would drag, um, especially in the middle of the movie. Like right. I felt like the first thirty went by pretty well, and then like at that point, like between the next hour before the end starts, it mm-hmm. seems to kind of be like up and down, like a lot. Right. And I guess that's part of the plot too, of like right. that you've talked about already, but. Um, those kind of stutters, you know, the, the, the stop and start kind of, of trying to figure things out. <clears throat> outside of that, I mean, I didn't, I, the pace, outside the pacing, I, I'd be, I'd be really nitpicking. I don't. So I'll start with Roger Ebert, um, who gives it a 1.5 out of four, uh, one and a half stars. Uh, <laughs> Good Lord. And, um, Mr. Ebert, I mean, he, he. I don't have to go through all of it because he really demolishes <laughs> this movie. Um, yeah. um, there, there's, I, I, I'm becoming really familiar with Ebert's, um, the way he writes about movies and um, he's like in his way, he's butchering this movie like mm-hmm. when he's writing about it. But um, one of his main, one of his primary criticisms, which a lot of people had something to say about is uh, first about Shyamalan casting himself mm-hmm. as the, basically the the, the writer the visionary writer who's going to whose words are going to end up saving the world someday right um and criticizing like that basically it's um it's completely ego driven um in terms of not only of casting himself in that character about how he kind of almost sees himself i think that's weak that's a weak argument <laughs> do you know like you're not saying interrupt. Like, no go right ahead. i think it's weak because that could have been anybody mm-hmm like if he didn't know what Shyamalan looked like, he wouldn't have right. said that, you sure. know. Yeah. So, I mean, it has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> yeah. So another another thing uh, they criticized the Mr. Farber character that Bob Balaban plays, the critic. Uh, um, where and I mean, most critics are going to end up mentioning this is because it's pretty obvious that it's a it's kind of making fun of the critics at that point. Right. And um, Ebert goes the, as far as to say that. It's an obvious preemptive strike, knowing that he's going to probably get savaged over this movie, um, and they thought it was not only like cheap, but also a really silly subplot. If that's all it was about, it was really like as the as a joke on the critics. Even was just upset that the dude had glasses on. <laughs> That's all. That, that's really all it is. Do you know what I mean? Because if he didn't wear glasses, Eber wouldn't have made the connection to himself. Mm. 
Um, Ebert is actually a very sensitive guy. The more I like right. read of his criticism. Um, so he ends off the uh, his review by saying that, uh, of course, Shyamalan's movies, uh, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, The Village, are essentially con games. They rely on misdirection and visual sleight of hand. They also require a measure of good faith and suspension of disbelief. Uh, tested early in this picture with the claim that Mr. Farber is both a book and a film critic um, of the Philadelphia paper. But any con man or storyteller must at the very least convey to us the sense that he buys his own con and Shyamalan is too afraid to commit in this film. The low star rating isn't just for pretension or ineptitude, it's also for hypocrisy and cowardice. That's brutal. So... And like, like I'm going to talk to Ebert. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I feel that it's all right. Frank Frank bitches about him all the time. (laughs) Aside from the pacing argument, which I agree, Mm -hmm. like there is, it's it definitely is a longer movie. But I think that it's hard to tell a fable or like a saga or something like that and not have that happen. That's part of the that's part of the audience toil. That's like the toll you pay for, you know, getting in the chair for a fable mm-hmm. you know so I understand but you know the pacing was it, it did feel a little bit long mm-hmm. outside of that it's 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 still a fable though like you know it's still it's not like oh here's a rom-com or like or here's a situational drama or whatever whatever it's like completely fabricated like it's com- you know from the door like there's a narration like here is a myth mm-hmm. you know here's a story that applies to the, this, this myth like you know I think that once you buy into the, once you sign up for, you know, the myth portion, you just kind of like ride it out. You yeah. Know? Like, and, and that's the last piece of criticism. It's, it's, it's common among the reviews that I'll bring up is, is that idea that it's a fable, kind of a myth is that, um, I don't know if you know, he, this started because it's a bedtime story that he was telling his children. Um, that's, at night. That was, that was, one, that was the other thing. Like I didn't, I never knew <laughs> if that was real. <laughs> Like, apparently it is it is yeah. okay because I was like man he just invent his own fable and was like I'm gonna yeah and he was telling his kids the story um, but one of the criticisms is that that's exactly what this movie feels like to them mm-hmm. is it feels like somebody who's just making up a damn story as they go along. good like good. <laughs> right that's, right okay like I'm fine with that yeah okay alright <laughs> you know like it's a fable yeah you know okay um, yeah. any final th- thoughts on this movie that you want to share no I, I just it was just you know I really like it and it's held up this entire time. Every time I watch it, I still get the same feelings. I really like the 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 reveal and the misdirection. I thought it was very creative. And it's a shame that it gets it get it gets beat up by a lot of people. Um because there's just a lot there. And it's and it's a shame because like, you know, a lot of people they you know, they like the ones that are the popular ones, you know. And it's a shame because there's a lot of subtlety and there's a lot to it there and that you know, you just have to look for it. Okay, awesome. Okay, so Frank, we're going to move on to your, your pick now, um, which is 2000's Unbreakable, um, the second movie um, that he put out, uh, starring Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, and Robin Wright as uh, Bruce Willis's wife. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that. It is, um, she's almost like invisible in this movie to some degree. Like, um, no makeup or anything. Right, very, yeah. Very clean. Um, it's 69% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 77% from audiences, um, 62 on Metacritic. Um, do you want to go ahead and give a brief synopsis? So, Bruce Willis is David Dunn. Um, 
security guard who survives a horrific train accident on the way from New York to Philadelphia. He's the sole survivor. Um, he's contacted by a guy named Elijah something. Glass. No, his last name's not Glass. Oh, they call him Mr. Glass. Glass. Yeah, Mr. Glass. Anyway, Mr. Glass is like the nickname that he earns because he has like some rare genetic disorder that causes his bones to break easily. Um, Glass thinks that Dunn is a superhero, like that he's got some sort of superhuman ability to survive injury. Um, Price, Elias Price. Over the course of the movie, Dunn starts to kind of believe it um, to the point where he eventually kind of becomes a superhero. And then, you know, the twist happens at the end. Um, His powers are basically that he's pretty much impervious to injury and he can see people's misdeeds by physical contact. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the movie, like, that's what leads to the the unraveling and the reveal of, like, the, the main villain or whatever. Um, one of my favorite, like, superhero origin movies of all time. Maybe one of my favorite superhero movies of all time, just because it kind of... I mean, so, a decade before the Marvel, like, the glut of, like, you know, Marvel, like, big blockbuster superhero films. Um, a really good, like, look, I think, at a realistic portrayal of what it probably would be like to have powers in a realistic setting. Um, really well-filmed, very dark movie. Um, maybe lacks, like, humor to a fault, almost. Like, it's dour to a fault. Like, none of these people are, like, happy people in their lives. I mean, Dunn is like on the verge of a divorce. He's emotionally shut down to the people in his life. You know, he seems pretty miserable. Um, but just, it's really well paced. Um, it holds up really well in multiple viewings. Like even once you know, like what the, you know, the, the quote unquote twist of the movie is, it's a very naturalistic approach to like applying the twist too, because, um, the twist is built through, like, the powers that this guy has. So once you've suspended your disbelief that somebody could have superhuman powers, like, it almost feels natural in terms of, like, a comic book narrative that, you know, the villain is revealed. Um, and, like, full spoilers, you know, Glasses turns out to be the guy that's caused these accidents because he's trying to find someone that's basically unbreakable because it's the opposite of himself and he wants to feel like he's not a genetic mistake because of this injury that he actually has some purpose. Um, a little overwrought at times in terms of the dialogue. Like, I mean, it's, it's definitely saved by the performances more than it is like by the actual dialogue itself. Um, but still really good, uh, really well done. Some really suspenseful stuff. Like what? Um, so the main, I guess like the catalyst of the movie is done realizing he has these powers and going to. Glass convinces him that he needs to go and, like, find someone to save, basically. And he gets this vision that this guy that works at, um... The train station? Yeah. I can't remember what the name of the train station in Philly is, but he works there. Uh, uh, Penn Station. Yeah, Penn Station, you're right. Um, the guy's, like, this random dude has, like, murdered this family, basically, and, like, invaded their house. And so he goes and saves the children. Um, the scene with him going into the house is very dark. It's very like, tense, you know, his kryptonite is water, so, like, there's a scene with him getting dumped in the pool, and, like, it feels like there's some actual, like, I don't know, like, threat of real harm to him at that point. There's mortality. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I just, I, I feel that I, I like the muted palette of the movie. I think it's a very like, you know, it's like blues and grays and browns and um, it just, it, it feels like a lived in world, like as opposed to like to make a modern analogy, you know, you have the Marvel Netflix series, which try really hard to be like gritty and, you know, grounded in like this hell's kitchen, whatever, like environment. And I think that Unbreakable does everything that those TV shows try to do in like a two hour package that's much more effective and, you know, much more lasting to the point where, you know, to go back to the sequel, like I'm really excited to see like where he takes these characters and like what happens Mm -hmm. next with them. Yeah, I just saw last night the most recent trailer for Glass and I'm really excited like what it looks like they're doing, especially with the Elijah uh, Elijah Price character. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I haven't watched. I, I I saw the second trailer on Reddit. Like yeah. I saw it pop up, but right. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, yeah, watch, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it looks exciting. Um, so you acknowledged about like uh, some of the writing, mm-hmm. you know, and some of the dialogue and stuff like that. Is there any other like weaknesses that you see? I I feel like Shyamalan's use of and Ebert kind of references it, although I think he, Ebert's like way too harsh when he calls it. But just like some gimmickry that Shyamalan will use like he loves flashbacks he loves I don't know like almost like breaking the fourth wall like what you mentioned at the end of like Lady in the Water like he likes to allow you as the viewer to see something that the participants in the film would not see right Mm -hmm. so he shows you things and it kind of works here because he's doing it through Dunn's power to kind of see like the evil in men or whatever Mm -hmm. But, um, and the flashback stuff works in this movie, kind of, like, with, especially because it's mostly, like, the Mr. Glass flashbacks, like, his yeah. birth. And his, then the him per- like the one kid. of his birth is really well. It's a it, really, it's really well opening. done. Yeah. Agreed. But then, mm-hmm. like, the one where you see where, um, so one of the driving, like, the un- undercurrent of the movie is the idea that Dunn and his wife are, like, splitting up. And mm-hmm. that he basically, like, knew that he had these superpowers as a kid. And gave them up in order to be with his wife. And so they flash back to the night that they had this car accident mm. where, like, he was unhurt in the accident. Right. And it's just a little unnecessary. Like, I think in, like, a couple lines of dialogue, you could have accomplished the same thing without having to resort to that. And I I, I feel like when you overuse, like a, like, a film device, like, flashback, like, if you're going to have a flashback in a movie, there better be, like, a really distinct purpose sure. to it. And when you start to overuse it, it just kind of feels like... It's like, okay, like, you don't need... Like, it's a gimmick. It's just like, okay, well, that's just what Shyamalan does. Well, one of the, I mean, two big things that they teach you right away in screenwriting is don't overuse flashback, don't overuse voiceover. I mean, and, yeah, Yeah. he does seem at times to sometimes... And I I think there's a little bit of, like, a little bit of preachiness to to the way that Glass, like, says things. And I I think in some instances on purpose, but I also think in some instances it's kind of like Shyamalan's voice coming through. And to compare it to another scene that's very similar, so Glass's whole point is that he's trying to find a hero, like, and eventually you realize he's trying to create a hero, like, through his own, like, you know, evil intentions by causing these, like, terrible accidents to happen. But he does give a lot of speeches about, like, the importance of, like, comics in our world and the importance of people believing in, like, the archetype of, like, the hero and the archetype of the villain. And if you compare it to something like David Carradine's speech about Superman at the end of Kill Bill Volume 2, 
like it's very similar in what they're saying in that, but it's much mm-hmm. more subtle and artistic. Like it's much more heavy handed the way that Shyamalan does I agree it. With that. And again, like he's making a comic book movie. Like Carradine is using comic books as an analogy to talk about the woman that he loves and has tried to kill. Glass is like not a cardboard cutout because I think there's complexity to all the characters in this movie. But he is more of like a comic book villain, right? And that's like what it's building towards is the reveal of him as the villain. So him monologuing makes more sense. But it does come off as like a little, I don't know, like overbearing. Like Shyamalan has like stock in comics or something. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is like, you, like, one of the things that I, I really like about Shyamalan a lot, even though I don't think he's successful in all his movies, mm-hmm. is he definitely wears his heart on his sleeve, right? Like, you know where that dude stands like there's no question that he's doing what he loves to do and he's making movies about things that he loves and like he loves horror movies and he loves comic books and he loves science fiction and he loves like this fable that he's created for his kids and like i i think whether or not you find his movies to be successful or entertaining like i think you have to appreciate that he does that but i think sometimes that when the author's voice is so strong that it can just distract you from just being entertained by you know a movie or like moved by what's being what's happening on the screen mm-hmm. and i think that it treads the line there but like i've, I've seen unbreakable i don't know like four four times maybe five times in my life mm-hmm. and just recently like i watched lady in the water and i watched unbreakable last week like in preparation for this um and i i think it still holds up i think it's really good um I think that, again, even though you know what's going to happen, I think it still, like, manages to build tension and be, like, an engaging. Um, and a lot of that is the performances. Like, Jackson's great in it. Willis is great in it. Penn, even though it's a small role, she's really good in it. Um, the kid is decent. Like, the kid that plays his son, I don't know who that actor is. Yeah, he, yeah he's, he's a decent child actor. He, yeah. That scene at the, uh, like the breakfast table. I was about to... Yeah, was with the gun, that. like, that's... Wait, with, the, wait, with the gun oh he's talk, oh yeah no I was I know what you're talking about yeah when he comes in with the gun to shoot him you're what yeah. you're talking about I was talking about well, the one at the when um, at the end oh with the newspaper with the newspaper yeah, and he yeah. like puts his finger uh-huh. up to yeah. like shush him mm-hmm. no I mean the scene where he like pulls the gun on his dad and he's like I'm gonna show you that you can't be hurt I mean that's a really tense scene and it's really well done um and it really does build on that whole like family dynamic that like Shyamalan has created but I think a lot of that does have to do with the power of the performance of the actors that are in the movie as opposed to maybe like necessarily what was written in the script or what's happening on screen. Um, but in my opinion, his most complete movie, um, I think it's the most like imminently like rewatchable. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that it is like now spawning like almost a trilogy of films, I think like speaks to the fact that I think he likes it the most. Or at least is like the most yeah endeared to like this like storyline that he's told. So let me walk through a couple of things with you in terms of critics. Okay. Um, oh, one one criticism that's very specific that comes from um, Kenneth Turner of the LA Times. We've mentioned him a couple times before, but um, he says that um, he he doesn't like the plot of the movie. He thinks that. Um, that it's implaus- implausible and um, becomes increasingly more difficult to take seriously as it unfolds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he says beyond those plot problems, the specific thing is he says that Unbreakable seems to have encouraged all of its actors to emulate Willis's um, lumber- lumberous pacing 
um, meaning that usually vibrant actors such as Wright Penn and Jackson are not shown to their best advantage. Hmm. Hmm. So the first part of that criticism is like ridiculous because hmm. you're watching. I guess in any movie, if you can't suspend your disbelief enough to like believe that a fantastical plot is possible, then why are you watching it? Right? Like, right. if you don't enjoy fantasy, then don't watch fantasy. Like, it's if it's not your <laughs> right, cup of right. tea. Right. Um, I think that Willis is like lumberous. Is that what he called it? Yeah, lumberous pace. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a man that's like suppressed the core of his being for the majority of his life. Like, he knows there's something different about him, and he's pushed it down to try and be, like, a normal person, and he's not a normal person. And I think that it's almost like like a caterpillar coming out of its, like, chrysalis, right? Like, he starts, like, almost underwater, which is kind of symbolic with the whole thing that, like, water is his, like, undoing, or right. can be his undoing. Mm -hmm. And he's, like, emerging from that, which kind of makes the end of that movie even more heartbreaking, because he's finally found, like, some hope and some purpose that he can use this thing to do good in the world and then the one person that brought it out of him is the person that is like the antithesis of who he is like he's like the super villain it's it's yeah. really effective right. and i like i always hate criticism like, and we aiden we go through this a lot because we talk about a lot of horror movies and stuff um anytime a, someone criticizes a movie because it happens to take place in the genre of film that it belongs in it's like it's such a weak like criticism of the film like if you don't enjoy horror movies don't watch horror movies but don't right. criticize a horror movie for being what it is a horror movie you know what i mean don't criticize a superhero movie for having like characters that are like superhuman or greater than what they are like that's it's a, it's just a silly complaint i have a question for you so you mentioned that um david dunn you mentioned that because i had you mentioned him suppressing. He's a man who's like suppressed his emotions and stuff like that. I had a t I had a different take on him and Elijah, in that they're almost it's not not even their opposite. They're the same person because, uh, you know you have you have this guy who can't be hurt, but he also can't love. He can't, you know, he can't experience emotion, you know, and then you have. Elijah, who's it's it's almost like the same person, you know. It's that, that's yeah. what that's so I, I I had a different take on it, but like we get to the same we get to the same. I mean, you're you're right though. They really are like different sides of the same coin in the sense that like one has a debilitating whatever like condition, like, right? And one has what could be considered a miraculous gift, but both of them are kind of like suppressed by those things, right? Well, I took what I took as like you know you have. You have this guy. It's 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 almost like it's not. Uh, it's no it's no surprise that he has the problems that he has because he's so emotionally callous. That's yeah. why he can't be hurt. And then with Elijah, you have someone who had has something unfortunate about him, and he get he is the object of ridicule by people that are ridiculed. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? So it's it it's so easy for him to get hurt that he can't get hurt. Because you know he talks about his own injury, you know. You know he he's, he's he tells everybody about his injury because it's so matter of fact to him. Yeah. 
You know, so to me... And willing to, like, risk, like, further injury because he's so used to it. Like, what does he say? Like, 54 broken bones in his life or something like that, I think, at one point. And, like, during the movie, like, he throws his body in harm's way in order to propel his own agenda. Yeah, to see the... To see if Dunn was right about the guy having the gun, like, in the scene where he leaves the stadium. Or even, even in the scene where he's in the comic book store. Yeah. And he's ramming his leg into, like, the, uh... Uh, the, the shelves and stuff yeah. like that you know what I mean so it's like you have so to me it's like you know I can see him as the antithesis but I also see them as the same mm-hmm. as well I just you know one of the few moments in that movie that makes me laugh is like after that scene you just talked about when the comic book whatever like Clark is like calling mm-hmm. the cops and he holds up the one issue and he's like how much for this one and it's the only I don't know it's like one of the few moments of like actual like I think sort of levity in the movie. Yeah, which is actually another thing I was gonna bring up to you is that a lot of people do mention the film that it's completely humorless, they say that um it takes it's almost takes itself too seriously by having no humor in it whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, like sure, but Yeah. yeah. I mean I I don't know why it has to have humor. Yeah, not 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 everything has to have like I, I think so to bring back to like the Marvel movies, like I think one of the failings of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that every movie has to have like ridiculous like jokes that don't even fit. Let the record show I'm nodding emphatically. Yeah, <laughs> tell it. And yeah. uh, in some of those movies, like Guardians, Guardians Ant Man, sure. the Thor stuff, where they're more lighthearted, like okay, like mm-hmm. I can see like the quippiness, but. I mean, Captain America, some of the Iron Man stuff, yeah. like the Avengers, those things are not... I'll give Iron Man a break just because with Downey Jr. playing him, they changed the character right. enough to that it yeah, kind of t- fits a hit. Tony Stark being quippy yeah. makes sense. Justice but, League. Well, Justice League is just, I don't know, that movie's like so dark. <laughs> like all those DC movies are, I don't know, crazy... I don't know, I can't... That, <laughs> that's that's like another like two-hour conversation <laughs> right, like, about that. Right, right, right. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, I don't ever understand the criticism. It's like going back to the acting. I, I I'm sitting here thinking about it. It's, I don't know. I I don't. I don't understand how anybody doesn't see like Willis gets criticized a lot for like die. I mean, like a lot of those diehard movies and stuff that he's kind of like emotionless and he doesn't really like give you know great performances like you know he gives a performance for what an action star should be and that's it but it's like i really think there's movies like this that are really understated like you know where he's, he's very cool and reserved like right, he's not yeah. a yeah he, he plays people that are unable to express themselves yeah, yeah. but i think he yeah. does it in a really subtle way I mean, it's I, like I, I think there's more subtlety in this character than a lot of <coughs> characters would you criticize you know jack nicholson for being like over the top and sure. i'm sure that that criticism happens oh, but yeah. It's the same thing. It's like they're such. But I mean, to lump Samuel in with that in this movie because, like, underneath that exterior, like, there is a guy that's just filled with rage. Oh yeah. Like you know, mm-hmm. at all times, and you can sense it. And like, a very you know, easy and... rage. Like he right, comes yeah. into it like when the guy suggests that he's buying this original artwork to like hang on his child's wall. Yeah. And you know glass kicks him out because yeah. it's mm-hmm. unacceptable like he's right. but it's like a it's, it's like a cold fire almost though. yeah it's like you know it's like mm-hmm. a, um it's diabolical like, it is yeah yeah um and i think i think it's a really great performance by samuel that doesn't get talked about probably like enough like for he has a lot of great roles but definitely him playing against type i think or mm-hmm. at least like the the typecasting that he made for himself through stuff yeah. like Pulp Fiction and whatnot. Do you think the order of the movie helped, 
helped or hurt uh, or, or I guess affected uh, its reception because you have Unbreakable was this was that the second second movie? one yeah it's so, right between that and Signs oh, okay Six so, Sense and Signs so you know he's already so Shyamalan comes out with Six Sense establishes the the turn or the reveal or whatever mm-hmm. and then you have this movie which also is one of the things that I find that I I can see why people don't go to it as much is that it's really hard to stick your to, to it doesn't have any handles it's hard to get a foothold in that movie because it's very it's a very dry movie like almost like a no country for old men type deal it's mm-hmm. really dry mm-hmm. because when you think about it it's like I know that I've seen that movie at least five times and I have a hard time outside of the scenes that I like mm-hmm. which you say like five let's say five scenes I have a hard time assembling the rest of the movie mm-hmm. but I know that I've seen it you know a bunch of times so like you know it's it's it doesn't stick in the memory like that mm-hmm. do you think that the fact that it's the second movie do you think that it would have I guess do you think it would have done better or been more uh, more well received as a later movie or I, I think that after Split and after Glass comes out of Glasses like good mm-hmm. I think people will go back and reevaluate it and have better things to say about it yeah. so th- this is one of the like one of the things that we we find a lot reading criticism is that critics are really unwilling to give credit to movies that aren't that don't fit within their idea of what like a drama is like Mm -hmm. a like an oscar worthy or like an artistic film so because Shyamalan makes like these genre movies like he's basically making like b movies with a level talent and budget maybe not even budget, but like talent at least, I I think that people are really dismissive of his films. And I think that because The Sixth Sense was such a commercial success, Mm -hmm. that I think that people were looking for ways to basically like shit on him. And because it wasn't like another horror movie and because it had like a, you know, quote unquote twist in it, I I think that, I don't know. I, I think it's, I'm surprised by that critic score. And I would imagine, like, almost all of that's contemporaneous, like, reviews, like, that 60-some percent. It's mixed. Um, what, was the, what was the score? Uh, it was uh, 69% from critics. Yeah, it's, it, it's lower than I would think it was. I mean, I really enjoyed it when I first saw it, yeah, and I, yeah. I like it more, yeah. like, as I see it more. Like, I enjoy it more now, I think, than when I first saw it, so. Do you think that people that aren't into that the, the hero, the comic hero genre, do you think that they liked it or did not? I don't know. I don't even know if they would have gone and seen it. I mean, I think a lot of people went to see it just because it was Shyamalan and because Sixth Sense was so... They wanted to see it. They could like, see I mean, well and, and at that point, I mean, in 2000, I mean, you're not many years removed from Willis and Jackson being in Die Hard with Vengeance together, too. It's, I mean, like, you're not too far removed from Tarantino. That's 95 or 96. Yeah, six years from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I mean, so it's like, you know, I mean, it's still, like, that that pairing, too, drove a lot of people to the theater, even if they weren't Shyamalan. Willis was still, like, one of the biggest, like, stars of the day, along with, like, Tom Hanks and... Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think... I think if it would have come later, yes, I think it would have gotten a better reception, actually. I, I think more people would have seen it, probably. Yeah. Um, I remember not... I remember... I, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it on DVD. Yeah. Yeah, same here. I didn't... In fact, I think that I saw it... What was after Unbreakable? Signs. Signs. I think I saw Signs in the theater first, and I had no idea that Unbreakable yeah. was what it was. I think I saw that out of sequence at that point. 
Yeah. I, I, no, I definitely think... I think if it would have come after signs, maybe it would have gotten more of a reception. It was so soon after Six Sense, too. It's only like, Oh, yeah, later, yeah. So. I mean, because he had already had it written, mm-hmm. and it was, like, filming, like, while Six Sense was coming out, I think, yeah. maybe, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, it was, like, right on top of one another. Okay, um... Anybody have any last thoughts in terms of Shyamalan overall? To me... I don't always think that his movies work, but I'm always interested to watch his movies because I think that he at least is like trying to do things. He doesn't ever let himself settle into like just one rote way of making a movie. And I think that he takes chances. And I think that even when those chances might not like meet my expectations, that they're at least interesting to watch. Like there's still something in them that you can take away from it. And I'm actually really glad to see him, like, getting back more to his roots and, like, the fact that I've enjoyed his past few movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, After Earth is terrible, but, like, everything, like, the other ones after that are, are really good. Um, I don't know. Like, I think he's a really interesting director. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe the French love him, so there's something. <laughs> he, he started out so young. He's really not that old. No. Like, at all, right? Little, now. Like, little older than us. Yeah. I mean, so it's like he started out so young in filmmaking. I think that it's almost... He, he was going to have to have that period where his career just took a nosedive. Yeah. Like, you know, before he could readjust and reorient and come back again. So, I mean, I think there's still going to be time for him to reestablish himself. Um, and, you know have maybe a second or third career even yeah. like you know throughout the rest of his life mm-hmm. I mean I do like the fact that he t- he does take chances and it's it's one of the qualities about him that will make me blindly see a movie that he does mm-hmm. sight like trailer sight unseen um you know that, that's what makes him an artist I mean really yeah. what it comes down to yeah. and I love I love also that I don't know how much so then they're trying to make a movie before. So I don't know how much control he has within the promotion, but I think that he's. I find, I find a very um, sharp correlation between the amount of marketing with his movies, which I think is tasteful because if you have like a like a blockbuster movie or any other movie, I just feel like especially now with like the social media and like the the over-mediacy of things, that things are way, way, way over-marketed, way, way, way over-advertised. And I never have felt that way about any movie that he's done, whether I liked it or not. And I, I think that's something. The, the Village was pretty heavily, yeah, heavily, yeah. Pro, like, promoted. Really? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. We had... And I, I think, wait, when does Glass come out? Uh, Do you know? Is it this no. year? It, yeah, it's this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll be interested to see like how that turns out a couple of months before it comes out and see how heavily that gets promoted. But um, it, just, it still doesn't. I mean, even it still doesn't feel that way though. Like I know that I've seen trailers for Glass and stuff like that, but it just doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's everywhere. Yeah, it feels like if you go to the movies, you might see the trailer. Right. But there's not like six trailers. <laughs> so <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's right. But I think that like he hit like a zenith at some point. Yeah. And fell so far in yeah. terms of like critical acclaim that now he's almost like yeah. come back to being like an underground filmmaker yeah. in a lot of ways. Like mm-hmm. where 
I had no idea that The Visit was a Shyamalan movie and was coming out. I had no idea that he wrote Devil when it came out. Devil was... And, like... That was a sleeper. Even Split, like, I had gone out to get lunch and had met a couple of friends. And they were like, oh, we're going to go see this movie. And I said, all right, like, I'll tag along with you. Right. And was completely, like, surprised by it. So, I kind of like the fact that he's sort of under the radar again and maybe has the abilities. Um, Glass, by the way, is January 2019. Did you see see Devil? I did. Did you see Devil? No. So, Devil, I'm I'm curious to, to, if you agree with me on this. Like, that's a movie you have to see in the theater. I don't think that works. Well, let me rephrase that. That's a movie that you need to see in a theater setting. Like you can't, you need, if you're going to watch it at home, you need like a home theater um, because of how some of the parts are filmed and not filmed for, for that matter. Like, I think that if you watch that like on a television, like doing dishes or whatever, whatever, I think that it, you lose what happens. Cause there's, it's like, it's like watching the 3d movie without the glasses type deal. I don't know. I only ever saw it on my TV. I didn't see it in the theater because uh, the reason I say this is like when you when the um, there are times where so the whole thing with Devil is that it takes place in an elevator, right? Right. The whole movie takes place in an elevator, and it's like a combination. It's like a retelling of Ten Little Indians, mm-hmm. but in ones in one place. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is that they, you have these people that are stuck in the elevator, and one by one, <laughs> they don't make it, right? <laughs> right? But the elevator loses power, so you're you're left with just audio. Mm-hmm. And being in the theater, I remember watching it. Being in the theater, that was also like a very tense mm. situation because you're in the theater; it's already dark, right? Stuff happen, you know. You you're seeing your, you know, you have like the elevator cam like look at mm-hmm. times, and then you're you got the normal cam look, and then stuff happens, and then it goes dark, and then all you all you hear. How long does that go? Um, I would say you mean where you go dark? Yeah. Um, I think for every single, for every single, like every time it comes back on, someone's gone. Okay. Right. right? And then the way that it resolves, and that, that that was another twist that was funny because you're watching and you're like, you know, uh, so now we have to, you know, not spoil what's happening. Mm-hmm. But it's um, it's one of those things where it's like everything happens, and then you you start to, as you go further in the movie, you start like checking things off, like oh that can't be, that can't be, mm-hmm. whatever, and you're left. It starts to pigeonhole, and you're like, where's he going with this? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But um, it was very effective. Yeah. Um, other movies that were effective like that were, oh, what was it Ryan Reynolds' movie where he was in was it buried? There's some movie where he was buried mm-hmm. in a coffin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it was it was interesting because here you are, here I am, and I'm not. I, I guess I could get a little across. I'm more acrophobic, not claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. But I'm in a theater, this huge, 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 huge theater. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it goes dark, and you become paralyzed in a, in a way mentally, and you you know you're it's and it's it's a very interesting experience because you're in you're in a large space like you right. can feel it and you still feel like, you know, the tenseness as if you're like in a closet. Yeah, no, that sounds like a really interesting technique. Yeah, yeah. So it was really cool. It was short. It wasn't that long. Um, I like that. And the ending. <laughs> 
And the ending wasn't what I thought. It, it was not what I expected yeah. at all. Huh. And, it, and it was right up until the ending starts. And I was like, I didn't see that coming. I, that's, I mean, it was a possibility, yeah. but I was like, I didn't. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I think it's all on like my three lists that I've had over the past five years. Of it's on Netflix right now, I think. Too. Is it? Is it? Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Happening. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll skip it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> okay, well, Aiden, thank you for being our first guest thank you, um, on the Third Man series. That was awesome. Thank um, you. I appreciate it. And everyone, please remember that you can um, email us at two guys five movies. That's the number two, number five, two guys five movies at gmail.com if you uh, want to uh, offer up any of your own ideas for lists. Uh, you can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Um, and please join us next week as we go through the top five horror movies of the 1970s. Everybody, have a good night. Yep, thanks, and have a good week.